in June of 2010, uh, Brene Brown, who is a well-known speaker and author on the subject of vulnerability, in fact, she has done all of her research on vulnerability and shame, shared in a TED Talk uh, entitled The Power of Vulnerability, a story about some women from an African village. And I don't remember the name of the African village. Uh, it's a true story. Uh, these women, uh, it was part of their communal life to go down to the river every day, and they would wash clothes alongside one another. Uh, they would make the journey to the river. It's common in impoverished African nations for people to find a watering source, and they use it for everything. They use it for water to drink. They use it to uh, wash their clothes. Uh, they bathe in the water, uh, and they, these women would go to that river, and they would wash clothes every day. The reason why she knew this story is because uh, years later, uh, they noticed that there were some changes in life in that village that were not good. And so they began researching to say, what has changed? What is different now than what was different than, than what was present earlier? See, earlier, as they would go to the river and they would wash clothes, uh, the women talked about how they could share with one another. They could be honest. They could be vulnerable. Uh, they could share stories. They could share fears. Uh, they could be known. They could be valued. They could be heard. Uh, they talked about laughing with one another and crying with one another and on rare occasions laughing until they cried with one another. But something changed over the course of a few years. Um, some people brought some new agricultural techniques to the village that increased their harvests, which allowed them then to sell their produce in other villages. It increased the economy in that village. It allowed them then to have access to other modern conveniences. And one of those was bringing water to nearly every home in their village. Well, guess what happened when they had water in every uh, home in the village? They started washing clothes at their homes, either outside their homes or inside their homes. And then a few years after that, this is when they brought in this research team to say, what's going on? They noticed that there was this dramatic increase in depression among the women, especially moms in that village, in that community. As they analyzed what was different, it went back to how they used to live this communal life dependence upon one another, sharing space with one another, listening to one another, and the growing economy in their village brought them independence, but it also brought them isolation. And in that isolation, uh, you know, kind of grew this depression among the women in that community. As I read that story this week, uh, I couldn't help but think about God's words to Adam in Genesis chapter two, verse 18. God looks at Adam and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. I'm gonna make a suitable helper for him. It's not good for man, it's not good for woman, it's not good for humankind to be alone. When we think about uh, what we see from God in scripture, we know in Genesis as God is creating the heavens and the earth, it says, let us, make mankind in our image. Our God is a relational God. He dwells in this just uh, mind-blowing existence as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, this, this beauty of what we call the Godhead. God is far beyond our ability to completely comprehend, but he is accessible to us. And, and God dwells in relationship, and he creates us as relational human beings. And so he, he creates Adam, and he says, it's not good for you to be alone. 
He knows the power of intimacy. He knows the power of community. He knows the power of relationship. He knows the power of human connection. But we also learn in Genesis that there is an enemy. There is an adversary. Uh, He goes by different names in scripture. Satan, the evil one, the enemy, the devil. And he is opposed to what God wants. And the enemy knows the power of intimacy and connection and human relationship. But he also knows the power of isolation. He knows that if he can get people isolated, living apart from others, then his lies can have incredible effect. One of the ways that Jesus refers to the enemy is as the father of lies. And when you and I are isolated, guess what? He has a heyday because there's no one there uh, to dispel the lies that we hear or to confront the accusations of the enemy. And so when we're alone, uh, maybe him or his, his demons, his evil spirits, uh, they insert the lies into our life. You're a failure. No one's ever gonna love you. It's never gonna get any better. It's always gonna be this way. And, and you get afflicted with these lies and in isolation, there's no one there to confront those lies. One of the enemy's greatest strategies, one of the enemy's greatest schemes is to get us isolated, to get us to pull away from other people. Just think about what he did with Jesus. When when did the greatest temptation from the enemy come to Jesus? When Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, he's alone. He's in the wilderness. He's in the desert. The enemy tempts him. He resists, yes, but the enemy has a heyday in the isolation. What are one of the other times that Jesus is tempted that we know of? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is nearing his arrest and his betrayal. He's there. He invites his disciples to come pray alongside him. Keep watch with me in prayer is what Jesus says. And yet what happens? The disciples fall asleep and Jesus is alone. And what do we hear Jesus so vulnerably pray? If it's possible, may this cup pass from me. You can kind of hear the temptation. And the temptation is not sin. But nevertheless, Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. The enemy thrives in getting us to be isolated. Why? Because it's not good for humankind to be alone. When when we are alone and we are isolated and we don't understand the value of community and we distance ourselves from people, and by the way, our society is ripe for that. Uh, We live in a world where we no longer have to gather in spaces together. Think about your own home if you have a family. It used to be, that if you had a TV, you had one TV and you would all gather around to watch something together, whether it was the news or a show. And now what happens in your home? Everyone's got their own little device or their own TV and you all go to your separate spaces. You all stream what you want. You watch what you want. You have your shows. I have my shows. And we're even separated for those things. Think about gaming. Uh, it used to be, even before video games, the only way you would game is to get your, you know, your little balls and your jacks and you would hang out with people or you'd draw your hopscotch on the sidewalk. Even once it was beyond that, you could gather around and, and play your Monopoly or your games together. You'd go grab a wiffle ball and a bat and you'd be with other people. When video games came on the scene, you still had to invite people over to play. You had to talk your mom and dad into buying extra controllers so you could have all kinds of people together playing a game together. And now we're at a place where often games you can't play multiplayer on the same console. You have to have your own console and you're in your own room. And I'm not saying all those advancements are bad. There are friends that you can have across the country, across the world, but you lose something with proximity. We, we isolate ourselves. And when we distance ourselves and we're able to just to pull into our garage, shut our garage door, get our Uber Eats or our DoorDash delivered, and we have little interaction with people, the enemy has a heyday. 
He convinces us that our marriage is the only one that's struggling. He convinces us that our kids are the only ones rebelling. He convinces us that our family is the only one with issues. It's my job is the only one that's challenging. I'm the only pastor that struggles when we isolate ourselves. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. You are hardwired for relational intimacy with other people. And we'll get to this at the end. I understand that some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have been hurt. It's difficult to take that risk. But let's just own something in the room. All of us have been hurt. All of us have been betrayed. I'm not saying all the same ways with equal measure. But it's worth it to pursue relationship. We need it. We were made for it. It's not good for us to be alone. Now, if you've been journeying with us the last few weeks, you're like, Craig, wait a second. We're journeying through Proverbs this summer, aren't we? Yes, we are. The wisdom from Proverbs is built upon a foundation that God has revealed and spoken and given to his people. The wise teacher in Proverbs speaks about relationship again and again and again. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, relationships with other human beings are assumed It is assumed that you're in relationship with your community. It's assumed that you're in relationship with your neighbors. It's assumed that you're in relationship with friends. It's assumed that there are relationships between mothers and fathers and their children and children with their parents and husbands with their wives. There's an assumption of relationship in the book of Proverbs. It's built upon this foundation that it's not good for man to be alone, that we're meant to be with other people. In fact, I would say it this way. There's an expectation even of friendship in the book of Proverbs. There are warnings about the type of people to hang out with and the type of people to be around. And and there are uh, teachings and uh, celebrations of the type of characteristics we should have as friends. But there's an expectation of friendship. Never is there a question of friendship. Proverbs never presents the idea as if you choose to have friends. No, it's always who. Who are your friends? There's an expectation of friendship there. Why? Because it's not good for humankind to be alone. And so what I want to do in our time left is just look at a couple characteristics we see in the book of Proverbs that help shape us, or if they're present in our relationships and our friendships, um, they will help us be great friends. And if we look for these in other people, uh, they'll help us find great friends. Again, we could look at warnings about the type of people we should or shouldn't hang out with, uh, but I just want to focus on these two characteristics. There are more, um, but time just doesn't allow for that. And, And here's the first uh, is that true friends are, are loyal. Uh, true friends are loyal. True friends are reliable. True friends can be counted on. Look at the words in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. And I will say as you turn there that uh, I am indebted uh, to the hard work of a researcher named Trimper Longman, In his commentary on Proverbs, uh, not only does he walk through uh, each verse of Proverbs, but at the end of his book, in the appendix, there's a whole section where he has gone through the entire book, and he has classified Proverbs by different themes. And so he made my work much shorter looking at friendship in Proverbs, because I could look at every single reference to friendship uh, in the book. So here's Proverbs 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I don't think we need to spend much time on the first part. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Uh, You probably can recall uh, a number of times in your life, or at least one time in your life, where you were counting on someone who called themselves a friend to you, 
and, and they were not there for you in your moment of crisis, and you experienced that hardship and what you might even call that ruin in those moments. And if we're completely honest and we look in the mirror, we can probably identify times when we ourselves uh, didn't show up for other people in that time of need. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. True friends are loyal. True friends are reliable. And I hesitate to use the word loyal because sometimes that can be misunderstood. Sometimes we can picture a blind loyalty. Uh, I was reading several articles this week that actually um, were trying to debunk the idea that loyalty is a virtue. And they were like, it can be bad when you're loyal to somebody and they're doing horrible things. And we're not talking about a blind loyalty. I'm not talking about enabling or disregarding the negative behavior of somebody. But I'm talking about choosing to stick with and stay with, to remain with somebody as a good friend, not championing their wrong behavior, but coming alongside of them, remaining loyal, being reliable, maybe in a circle where we're thinking about following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus, the word faithful might even be a better word that we would choose because of who God is and what he says about us and what he says about others to remain in and stay faithful to, loyal to, reliable for other people, that we would look for that in friends, that we would be that type of friend. Do you know how important it is for followers of Jesus to be loyal in friendship in our current world? Just, just research loyalty or brand loyalty, and you'll come up with a host of articles and research done by a number of institutions saying that post-COVID, um, there's a crisis in people remaining loyal. You'll, you'll find articles about cancel culture, about quitting on people, about quitting on products and relationships and companies. And we're even beginning to see that we're more prone as people to quit on other people in our lives. We can just move on to someone else. There's a crisis of loyalty and faithfulness and reliability, but true friends remain loyal. True friends continue to care for even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. There's another proverb that speaks to loyalty. Proverbs 17, uh, verse 17. For me, it's just a page earlier. Uh, the wise teacher, who again, we assume to be Solomon, uh, says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Uh, a true friend is loyal. They love at all times. Again, we're not talking about being permissive. We're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, condoning, uh, you know, bad things, but they're present. But here's what we know about loyalty. Loyalty always costs us. Loyalty means sacrifice. Loyalty, uh, being reliable, means that sometimes we have to, you know, overcome previous offenses with that friend to be present with them in their moment of crisis. Sometimes it means that we have to make a sacrifice financially to support them in their moment of crisis, in their hour of need. Sometimes it means that we have to get up in the middle of the night and we have to race off to their home to be present with them. Sometimes it means we have to rearrange schedules. Sometimes it means that we need to go be with them alongside their dying loved one, their dying relative, their dying parent. Being loyal requires something of us. It costs us. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is not a knock on family. This is not minimizing the importance of family. But it's just expressing a reality that many of us know to be true. I can speak for myself. I have siblings who I know care about me. I have an older brother. He lives in New York. 
I have a younger brother who lives in Southern Indiana, and I have a sister who lives in Kentucky. We are not very close in proximity. I know that if I were to call them this afternoon and tell them that I'm going through a crisis, I really need them, that they would work hard to come alongside of me. But because of proximity, we don't have the same bond that I have with friends that live right here in Lebanon. There are men and women who stick closer than a brother. Again, it's not a knock on my brother and sisters, my brothers and sister, but there are people who remain close, people who, when I'm going through a difficult time, they see it and they call me and they lean in. They come to my garage and they talk with me. They, they, they want to spend time. We, we go for coffee together. And I try to do the same thing for them. True friends are loyal. And so let's just ask the question, are you loyal? Are you someone who sticks closer than a brother or sister with people that you are friends with? Are you faithful? Are you reliable? Do you have friends that are loyal, that are faithful, that are reliable? A true friend is loyal. We see something else in Proverbs. Again, just the second characteristic we're going to look at is that true friends are honest. Two friends are honest. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. We find these profound words of truth. Proverbs 27, 6 tells us that wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. Again, we don't need to spend a lot of time on the negative part of this proverb. Uh, we likely all have experienced some form where there were people uh, who said a lot of great things to us, maybe about us. Uh, they gave us a lot of kisses, if it were, hopefully not real kisses. That would be really awkward. Um, but it turned out they just wanted something from us. They wanted to manipulate us. They wanted us to do something that benefited them. But wounds from a friend can be trusted. There are words that can come from a friend that while hurting, we know that they are there um, to provide help. I think of a surgeon. Uh, I had my gallbladder taken out when I was 23 years old. Um, when uh, they performed surgery, uh, they did it laparoscopically. I have incisions just above my navel and a few others on my abdomen. And I can tell you that when I came out of recovery, I was sore. I was more sore than when I had had uh, the, the gallbladder issues. But those wounds, the cuts inflicted by the surgeon in my abdomen were there to help me and to bring healing. A true friend is willing to be honest with the precision of a surgeon. And you know that they are for you because their words that may feel like criticism or they may feel harsh in the moment are not the only words you've heard from them. They've been built on a foundation of other encouragement and support. And so when your friend speaks into your life, you, you know it's with the precision of a surgeon even if you don't like it. A true friend is willing to be honest. They're willing to risk short-term affection for long-term effect because they care about you, because they, they want what's best for you. And we need friends that are honest with us, don't we? Everyone in this room, everyone watching online, we all have blind spots. 
There are things that we don't see about ourselves. There are tendencies, uh, there are behaviors, there are ways that we act in certain situations that we cannot see, and other people can. And so as our friends listen to us, talk with them about our work, about our family, uh, uh, about situations, they, they're like, listen, I keep hearing you talk about your boss that way, but, but I see something else you're doing over here. And so they can see those blind spots and they can speak in with the precision of a surgeon to help us. True friends are honest. If, we want, if we're looking for friends that always tell us what we wanna hear, we're gonna be in trouble. We won't grow as people. We need people to come alongside of us and point out those areas of weakness, but we know that they are for us rather than being against us. I think about these words from Proverbs, Proverbs 27, uh, verse 27. Probably some of the most, sorry, not 27, 27. That says you have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. So uh, that's not the verse. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, uh, so one person sharpens another. Uh, iron is used to help one another, whether you have plenty of goat's milk or not. Um, true friends are honest. True friends are loyal. And as we look at Proverbs, we're looking to this ancient wisdom that provides us with help today. And we're, we're using this picture of we want to live well. God wants you to live well. God wants you to experience life in its fullness and a key to that are the relationships you share in life. And a key to great relationships is being loyal and, and being honest. And one of the things that I see often when I speak with people in my office or I meet them in their home or at a coffee shop and they're talking about relation or, relation or turmoil, um, I will hear people say, well, um, you know, I don't have this type of person in my life. I don't have their encouragement. I don't have, and I'll be looking at what other people are doing and sometimes when I turn things back and say, but are you doing those things? The answer is no. And so we can look for loyal and honest friends. We also have to ask the question, are we loyal and honest people? Are you loyal? Are you reliable? Are you faithful? And one of the hardest things in relationships, isn't it realizing that we can't change the other person? You have no control over them. Um, but you can't allow God to shape you and change you. And so even if you don't yet have loyal and, and honest people in your life, you, through the help of our incredible God, can be loyal and honest as a person. And you'll be the type of friend that other people need. And as you do that, you'll end up finding others that are loyal and honest with you. God wants you to live well. We need those types of friendships to thrive. Now, again, I'll go back to what I said in the beginning. I know that for some of you, you wonder, is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? You have been betrayed, you have been hurt, uh, uh, you have experienced friendships, you've been ghosted, uh, you've been neglected, you've had people that aren't loyal, they're not honest with you, or they speak about you behind your back, and you're like, is it really worth taking the risk? And I'll give you one short answer, and you're gonna expect it from me, and the word is yes. Again, going back to Genesis chapter two, verse 18, you're not made to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So what's the alternative? Did you live in isolation because you've been hurt, because you've been crushed and allow the enemy's lies to like afflict you day and night or do you embrace community? Don't we all need a group of people to go down to the river and wash clothes with? We need people who will listen to us, 
people who we can share with, people who we can listen to, people who we can laugh with, people who we can cry with, people who we can laugh until we cry with. We need that, and God knows that about us. It's not good for humankind to be alone. And so God gives us people to share relationship with. Will we look for loyal and honest friends? Will we be loyal and honest friends? In in Jenny Allen's book, Finding Your People, uh, she identifies uh, five characteristics uh, for enduring friendship. And we're going to put them on the screen. And I apologize if you're at home, they're only going to be on there for a moment. But in here, they're going to stay on the the screen. But here are the five characteristics. Proximity, transparency, accountability, consistency, and shared purpose. Just thinking about what we saw in Proverbs, you can see loyalty and honesty show up in four of those five. Loyalty. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's hard to stick close to someone unless you have proximity, isn't it? Now, we live in a day and age where you have Zoom, you have Google Meet, you have FaceTime, you have um, whatever Facebook's like video uh, conversation thing is. Like you, you, can, you can visit with people and see people. And yes, talking to a family across the country uh, through FaceTime or whatever visual like conversation thing you use can be powerful. Picking up the phone and being able to talk to a friend, it matters. But we know there is no replacement for proximity, right? When someone can be near to you, someone can be close to you. Uh, I'll just share something really vulnerable with you for a moment. Um, As we were walking alongside uh, Philip and Sarah, uh, those of you guys who don't know those names, uh, Philip was our associate up until 2021 and went to, 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 to be a part of a church in California. Uh, they just a month ago um, experienced the death of their four-month-old. Uh, Philip and I are close friends, and we could talk on the phone, we could FaceTime, but there was something completely different when they came back to Indiana for her celebration of life, and we walked into that church uh, on that evening of her visitation, and I was able to hug him, something completely different. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Loyalty requires some proximity, consistency. Like, how can you be loyal unless you keep showing up? And by the way, all of these are present in those women who were down at the river, right? They had proximity with one another. They were transparent. They were sharing. They were holding each other accountable. They were consistent. They were there day after day after day. They had a shared purpose. They were washing their clothes, all of them together. Uh, A true friend is honest. What about transparency and accountability? Like, we have to be honest about our needs even as friends. We have to be honest with our friends, accountability. Enduring friendships that have proximity and transparency and accountability and consistency, they endure through time. The, the final one here is shared purpose. You also know with your friends, if you share some things in common, if you're doing something together, it makes a difference. And I would submit that that means even more for us when it comes to being followers of Jesus. When you are on mission together for King Jesus, you're wanting to see his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. There is something powerful that's ignited in your friendships because you are on mission together. Jesus wants you to live well. God wants you to live well. 
what we shared at the beginning of this series, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have life in all of its fullness. God wants that for you. And part of living well will be experiencing powerful friendships. That's going to require us to be loyal friends and honest friends. I want to end by encouraging you, if you don't yet have these types of friends, and even if you do, uh, to give you the place where you can start. Uh, and that is that Jesus ultimately is going to be the only perfect friend you will ever have. Uh, he is the only one that is never going to let you down. In fact, if you would throw back up those, those five things and just talk about Jesus for a moment, you want to talk about proximity? Jesus, the perfect son of God, dwelling in perfect unity with God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came close. And not only did he come close once, but when he ascended to the Father, he left us with a promise that as we believe and trust and follow him, he gives us his spirit to live inside of us. We want to talk about proximity. Talk about transparency. What has he revealed in, in, in the word? He has given us uh, uh, our identity. He's shown us who we are and what he requires of us. You want to talk about accountability? There's conviction that comes from his words and it comes from his spirit and it comes from his people. Talk about consistency. How many times you read in scripture, either of God or of Jesus, that he will never leave us or forsake us? And shared purpose? He came to make the world what God intended for it to be, and he invites us to be a part of that mission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the perfect friend. And even if you have friends that have let you down, friends that aren't loyal, friends that haven't been reliable, friends that aren't honest, there's multiplying kisses. You can have Jesus who walks alongside of you and is present with you. Yes, we need relationships with other people, but even in their absence, we can have Jesus. If you don't yet have Jesus, you will never have the perfect friend that you desperately need. And he's available to every one of us if we will simply call out to him in faith and say, Jesus, we believe in you. We want you. We will confess that he is the Lord, that he is the king, that he is the ultimate authority. And in that, we'll turn from living life our way. We call that repentance to living life for him. And part of that decision of faith is entering into his life through baptism. And he fills us with his spirit and he walks with us. He's that friend to us. And as he lives inside of us, he gives us the power to be the friend that he knows many in our world desperately need. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs. God, that's built upon a foundation of truth. I thank you that it's not just by looking at women at a remote village in Africa who ended up experiencing great depression because of their loss of community and relationship, but we can see it in so many other places in our world that we desperately need other people. We need other people who love you. We need other people who want to follow you. We need other people who are willing to continue to show up and be present and be reliable in our lives. We need other people who will speak the truth to us to do it kindly and to do it purposefully, to do it intentionally, but even willing to risk uh, wounding us to help us become the people you want us to be. And God, just as much as we need those in our life, we need to be that to other people in need. So God, help us be loyal. Help us to be honest. And God, as we are, help us to draw people to you. Uh, lead us and guide us and help us. And it's in your name we pray.